Hey puppy, you gonna do the intro with me? Let's go. You stand here. Hey. Hello, my name's Jake. I'm from Black Ink. This is a Black Ink podcast, episode number 14. 14? 14. It is episode number 14. Right. Thanks for your help, puppy. Now, I will start this off by saying I wasn't going to do a podcast today because I am actually quite ill. As you can see, if you're watching this on YouTube, I don't at all appear ill. Um, I don't have a temperature. There's nothing really going on on the surface, but I'm just in fucking stupid pain when it comes to like my muscles and my joints. And I feel like as weird as this sounds, I feel like my diaphragm hurts. I don't know if anyone's had like a sore diaphragm, but it just feels like it's got like fucking thumbtacks on it and it like doesn't let me breathe sometimes. So I find myself like holding my breath in that. <clears throat> so we said that if I woke up for the second time in this much pain that I would, uh, cause like I wake up in pain and like wasn't last night but the night before I woke up literally at fucking one o'clock in the morning and thought I was gonna like spew up and shit my pants and as it turns out I didn't do either of those um I went through all the notions of, of doing so but the spewing up not the shitting my pants but um yeah I didn't really throw anything up and I didn't have the stomach contractions I just had like that you know the thing in your head where you're like oh I gotta spew so I'll fucking I'll go through the you know I'll go and find somewhere to stand and I'll bend over and I'll you know what I mean? I look at the ground and, I, and I'll think about spewy thoughts, but then nothing happened. You know what I mean? I kind of got the, but I didn't spew. But um, I went to the fucking doctor today in town here. Did that bullshit thing where you got to sit in the car park and then call up the reception and let, and let them know because I had flu-like symptoms because I got this bot, like nothing going on with my nose or my throat or anything. And obviously like I don't fuck all about anything. So I'm not going to say whether I do or don't. I think it's justifiable, but I had to go through the process because I have flu-like symptoms. Called them up. And like the doctor calls you up and has a bit of a conversation, like what's going on, just so I know what to bring with me. And um, yeah, he was very confident. Really cool, actually. That doctor, um, Dr. Sam McTeague, is uh, he's the brother of, uh, of some people that I used to skate with way back in the day. So it's pretty cool. And I, I think I might actually go into my skating story a bit today because it's something that I reference a, a fair bit. And I don't, I don't really fucking... Yeah, I don't think I've told the podcast at all about my skating history so but yeah <clears throat> I um so Sam comes down Dr. McTeague comes down and uh by the end of it is it literally took him like 10-15 minutes to like every question that you know how when doctors ask questions and they're on the nose you know sometimes a doctor asks a question and you're like look I understand that you're smarter than me and you did heaps more research to the human body and that but you're going down the wrong track on this like I feel like I feel like that's not the thing you need to be concerned about. Everything he asks, he's like, oh, and this, and this, and this. I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like he goes, oh, you know, have you had any headaches? I'm like, headaches, bro. It feels like the front part of my brain is too big for my fucking head. He goes, right, what have you been doing the past couple of days? And I'm like, just chilling out, doing nothing, just, you know, like recovering, because that's what you're meant to do. And he's like, yeah, for sure, if you're going to lay down all that, you kind of got to get up every 15 minutes, give yourself a chance to move around, get your blood flowing, all that, and all that, because you get like sort of muscle stiffness around your neck and shoulders if you're not moving too much and then that can cause headaches and whatnot if you're not hydrating properly and all the rest so yeah it was just a um he was very he was very um sure that after like 10 minutes 15 minutes of asking questions and especially once we got to this next piece of information that it was uh food poisoning so he goes look it sounds like he goes it sounds like you had all the symptoms of, or some of the symptoms of food poisoning um, severely and then it's kind of worn off and then as those symptoms have worn off you've had other symptoms of food poisoning and it all seems to be pretty congruent with the idea of having food poisoning have you changed anything have you eaten anything different rah, rah, rah. I said look we get this HelloFresh now that means that you never really have the same thing twice with HelloFresh 
But at the same time, like, it's never really that far out of your normal diet. It's not like you're eating some shit where you're fucking, you know, you're eating tabbouleh for the first time, you know? So, I, um, I say to him, <clears throat> I say to our, we had these meatballs and it didn't really sit right when I had these meatballs. You know how when you eat something, you're like, oh yeah, cool, cool, like, this is nice, but like, just, I don't know, I don't know. The last time I had that feeling, almost died, you know, almost died from having fucking parasites in Colombia. That's a, another story. Um, but yeah, I said, it could have been these meatballs and he goes, oh, hello, fresh. Uh, so these are the ones that arrive in a box. And then they can sit in the box for maybe half a day at the front of your place. And then you get them in and put them in the fridge and all that. And I didn't tell him the whole story. But the reality is like, bro, we live in a caravan. Like it gets delivered to our place. And then it sits on the bed for like 11 hours until she comes home. And then, you know, she rearranges between our main fridge and our angle that we live out of. Um, she'll rearrange everything so it all fits and obviously like all the bags for the HelloFresh go on the angle so we know where to find them but then all the little kind of other bits and pieces like the meat goes into our main fridge and the reality is that meat probably fucking it could have got to a temperature that's questionable but with this said like I truthfully truthfully believe not having your sorry this fucking coffee is making me burp a lot um, I think by biting under your nails and not having flu shots and probably not having flu shots doesn't it's not the same thing. I believe that the human body... No, fuck it. It is, about, it is about flu shots. Because the thing about the flu shot is they're giving you a tiny dose of the flu shot. And that is meant to help your immune system build up a tolerance to that. So not, not a tolerance, but build up like an immunity to it because it's been given a little bit. So it builds, builds up all the protective whatever it is inside of your body to go like, right, if that comes again, we know how to deal with it. I'm pretty sure that's the whole concept of it. And I definitely don't like if a chicken, if chicken, cooked chicken is a little bit old or the bacon's a little bit slimy or the rest like, bitch, now we got to eat it because that has all the, that, like we're giving ourselves a little bit of food poisoning to protect us from food poisoning. I know that doesn't work, but it does work. Like I bite under my nails. I don't wash my hands after I fucking, you know, clean the, the chook shit off the eggs and blah, blah, blah. Like you just do, you, you just, you be, you try, I try and live a human life. You know what I mean? I don't try and live a human life and then wash my hands once I'm done of it and then go and have my food. Obviously, if there is, especially if there's visible dirt on your hands, like wash your hands. After you go to the toilet, wash your hands, right? Simple things like that, of course. But I feel like when you try and, I mean, it's that age old debate about people who wrap their kids in fucking cotton wool and bubble wrap and, you know, don't let them get sick or eat dirt or eat, eat the bugs and shit outside. And then they bloody end up growing up to be allergic to everything under the sun and, you know, have fucking severe social anxiety for some reason. But I think that's, that's, that's something else. <clears throat> but yeah, I believe that by having those, you know, even when there's a bit of mold on the bread, like, yeah, tear the mold off and keep going. You know what I mean? Don't throw the whole fucking loaf out. I mean, even if you get a bit of mold in there, good on you. Penicillin, off you go, you know? And like probably to a heaps lesser extent, even bruised fruit. Like if the fruit looks fucked, then eat it, you know, because realistic, it doesn't get any more natural than that. It's like this thing that grew on a fucking, on a plant, you know, that is somehow perfectly digestible by the human system. And you think it being a little bit old or whatever, like unless a foreign body has got involved with it, where it is like fully engulfed in mold, like, yeah, maybe, but if it's just like a little bit, just cut the bit off and keep going, you know? I feel like that's the best form of like immunity building we can give ourselves is obviously on top of, I, I mean, 
you know, do all the shit you possibly can to build up your immunity. But on top of that, I, I feel like the best thing we can do is things like, you know, exposing yourself to as much of this like soft cock bacteria that you can, you know. It's like pretty much anything that someone like, you know, the princey person go like, oh, I'm not going to do that. Just do it. You know what I mean? Just like if you get a real big fucking chunk of something on your nail, like get it out. You don't have to eat it, but at least taste it and then spit it out. You know what I mean? Like grow with the bacteria. But yeah. And when I fucking woke up in the middle of the night the other night, <clears throat> feeling a bit average, my initial thought was this is the meatballs. Because you know how like when something does upset your stomach, you can like taste it in your breath. Like you kind of know like, oh, that was that. I know that was that. It's just a, it's a bloody weird. It's like a, I don't know. I feel like it's almost like a symbiotic connection that you, that your mind has with your body. And it's like a, if you just stop and, and I, and I think like tasting the, the taste or smell of the breath and relating it to that. It's like quite obviously it was the last thing you ate. You've brushed your teeth and all the rest, but even then, I had the, had this feeling like, oh no, my stomach. It like for one o'clock in the morning, it, it, there shouldn't really be anything in my stomach. I don't think. Oh, okay. There shouldn't be anything. Or oh, I know from waking up at one o'clock before that I normally feel emptier than this. I feel like there is just that those meatballs sitting there. So, look, I probably got fucking way too deep into this meatball story, but so good. It is all good. So. Yeah, it was cool to go to the doctor. It was, I think the nicest thing about going to the doctor, I find, is like in this situation, I felt kind of silly and like I'm wasting people's like, because Rhea said, oh, do you want to go to the hospital? It's like, nah, man, because I feel like, you know, go to the hospital if you're dying, you know, like go to the hospital if you've got like a broken bone that's sticking out of the skin sort of thing, like. I feel like going to the ER, not like, well, there's two sides of the story when, when it's going to the ER. The first side is obviously being courteous of other human life that may be in fucking risk. If someone walks in with a serious problem and I'm sitting next to them, oh, I've got a sore tummy and my head hurts every now and then. It's like, shut the fuck up. You know what I mean? Like, honestly, shut the fuck up. So the second part is definitely I have no interest in spending six hours in the hospital for them to tell me like it could be one of these six things. You know, like I remember I had like chest pains once and probably go to the hospital for chest pains, probably a great idea, but like pretty much just spent all of, all of that night in the hospital for them to say like, yeah, well, there's nothing we can find, rah, 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 like, and I kind of knew that going in, but going to the, this was kind of cool though, because I feel like Dr. McTeague, he even said at the end, he goes like, you did the right thing. If, if anything else happens, if anything changes, if there's anything new, obviously come back and we can sort it out. But otherwise like he did the right thing, just kind of double checking and also doing the thing when you are, you know, where you do all the bullshit in the car park instead of going up to the, going up to the room. With that said, with that said, I thought about when he said that, like he said, obviously, thank you for, you know, doing what you've done around, because I asked him, I said, oh, can you bulk build this for me? Because I'm a tight ass. And uh, he's like, yeah, definitely you did everything right. He goes, you, you know, the fact that you stayed in, the, stayed in the car park and all the rest and I. I immediately thought, well, that means that people think that they're better than the system and that they would just go up anyway. And of course, of course, people think that way. They think they're the exception. Like, how bizarre is it that I, I'm pretty sure it's like a common thing that if people thought they had coronavirus and they were going to the, ho like the doctors to find out whether they had coronavirus, 
even though it's been like common practice for almost two years that if you have any symptoms, you're meant to wear a mask, tell people, blah, 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 especially in a place of medicine, don't go in the fucking doors because like you're opening up, you're opening up a massive can of worms that could fuck everyone else up. But people, of course, would just go fucking straight in and not think about it. So much so that the fucking doctor thanked me for not doing that. That's bizarre. That is fucking bizarre. Now, now, I said I would uh, talk about my skating story, so let's talk about it. Um, I guess I'll just start at the start. So, my skating, actually my skating started heaps earlier than what I can remember. There is photos of me, like, you know, knee-high to a grasshopper with a little rat's tail and my skates on outside. I think we were living somewhere up north. I had those skates that kind of, you know, you got your shoes and then the, the skates are like a plastic thing that you put your shoe into and then it straps onto, so you don't, you don't need actual blades. But, um, yeah, I think from there, I do have memories when I was like young, young, going to Kmart and getting different pairs of skates from Kmart. And at the time, I remember like at Kmart, there might be two or three different types of skates and, uh, sorry, blades. And one of them would be like, no, nah, I don't want that one. Then you'd have like the choice of two and one would be like, I want to say like 170 and then one would be 250. And mum's like, you know, you can have this one or this one or our own. It just... My mind being blown at like $270 skates. They must be fucking crazy, hey? Like, they must do some wild shit. Oh, I might be wrong with the prices, but I remember thinking, like, that's crazy amounts of money for, for rollerblades. But also, as a kid, you you also have that thought of, like, but my parents can afford anything, so it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? And it's like, not even necessarily... This is a crazy part about growing up, is realizing that your parents weren't in a position where you could afford anything. My parents just always made sure that I never went without anything that I seriously wanted, you know what I mean? So if I had a real reason for wanting it, my parents always made sure that I had it, you know? And now that I've grown up, you just realize that that's what good parents do, is like they'll fucking go without whatever they whatever they like, you know what I mean? That they've taken a whole lifetime to realize that they like. They'll go without that thing for you, you know? <laughs> so that you can have your fucking $250 pair of skates. But, yeah, so my... I remember... I don't actually remember ever skating on those skates, like maybe out on the street and stuff when I was, you know, under 10 years old. But basically, we stopped traveling all up north and that when I was, uh, we moved to Bunbury uh, 24 days after my 10th birthday. So when we moved to Bunbury, I went to St. Joseph's uh, for the last year of primary school, which is year seven. And I immediately made friends with this guy called Adam. And uh, Adam, as it turns out, lived up the road from me. Um, where we moved, and yeah, I uh, I think I went to hang out at his place to show my vintage. I think they were like Halo One had just come out, um, and like Xbox uh, Xbox Three Sixty, I think was like the new the new. And like this is the thing, I remember fucking being like, this dude's weird. He plays an Xbox because everyone or me and everyone I know to play bloody PlayStation forever in a day, and I think that that was like PS Two days, you know. So it's like fucking Xbox, like cool man. No one cares, you know, but. Yeah, funny story with Adam, as much as we were friends, uh, yeah, yeah, well, I mean, it's not that we weren't friends, we were, we were friends and we ended up skating together for a long time, but it must have been like, probably six, five or six years later, me and a group of other skating boys ended up blowing blowing up his letterbox, but from memory, I don't think it was even my idea, I think like we were at my house when all this shit went down, but like it wasn't my idea, and also, like, when we do it, I didn't even execute it. I was just kind of there, you know? Anyway, did we blow up his letterbox? Fuck, I don't remember. Anyway, long story. 
It didn't happen for legal reasons, of course. Um, so yeah, I'm at his place one day and he's like, oh, do you want to go to the rink? And I was like, no idea what the rink was. At, by, at this stage of my life, I had no knowledge that an that a indoor recreational facility where the only activity that went down was skating, I didn't know that even existed. So I was like, oh yeah, cool, we'll go to the rink. And it was like a Saturday general session. Now, my memories of Saturday general sessions are probably the best memories that I have. Like, they were so much fun. And, like, the rink still operates here in Bunbury, um, out in Halifax on, yeah, I don't know, it, on a street in the center of Halifax. Anyway, which is the industrial area. Um, so, I used to go there on a Saturday morning, and they had the big grandstand, and they had uh, the, you know, the, like, the arcade games and shit. I think they might have had one of the fighting games. I think they had a motorbike game as well. They had all the lockers everywhere where all the regular skaters kept all their skates and stuff. They had the party room at the back and the walls were just covered in sponsors, like just covered in sponsors, all these local businesses, those businesses that would all put in money. And also that would help like, they would um, give vouchers and stuff away. So if you had a birthday there, you would like have your party in the room and then halfway through the general session, they'd pull all of your friends out and you and they, everyone sings happy birthday and they give you like a, uh, a voucher pack with all the sponsors fucking vouchers and shit it was super cool and you know they they had the um they'd always like play cool music and had like the regular skaters would be the the, the regular skaters the, the way it works in rinks they're typically the ones who work there and, and do all the shit so they're like the floor marshals and the djs and blah 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 so when i got there when i first got there on a sad day um a bloke called andrew roberts he was uh he was the floor marshal and anyway, I got there and I was, you know, stuffing around on my skates, having fun. And like, because I'd already been on skates for a fair bit of my, fair bit of my childhood, like I've, I've been aware of skating, kind of like I was aware of riding a bike, you know, it, and that, that's a pretty big distinction. You know, some people like just don't know how to ride a bike because they're like, oh yeah, I didn't have a bike when I was a kid or, you know, my brother or sister had a bike, but I didn't really think much of it. It's like, but what the fuck, you know? Anyway, off track. So I, I always had skates. And I think because of that, I was already, I wouldn't say like through my talent, through my skating career, I've, uh, I've been told that I'm, uh, like, you know, obviously people, some people are better at things than other people and that I'm talented at skating. I think what happened, I think the reality with talent and natural, or sorry, natural talent, I should say, uh, the earlier you start anything, the better you are at it. You know, the earlier you can start connecting those neural pathways in your mind as to what you're trying to achieve, the better you're going to be at it. So, you know, like right now, I've, I've mastered doing a wheelie on my push bike, but learning to do it at 28 meant that I literally had to pull that front wheel up every day for over a year before I got to a point that I was comfortable with it. And like, I mean, multiple wheelies every day, like consistently every day for at least over a year. Um, my interest in trying to do a wheelie probably started when I was about 22, 21. <clears throat> it's fucking crazy, but I can do a wheelie. You know what I mean? Um, I honestly think if I had tried to do wheelies when I was young, it would be one of those things where I would now be doing wheelies on my Harley as an adult because I would be so, it's like, if, like, if you saw me on skates now, I'm so like, I'm like undeniably good on skates. I know it sounds like I'm being like a cock about it, but it's, like, that's how good I am, you know? Like, I'm that confident that I'm that good on skates. And that's because, like, I my mind was already building the pathway or the foundation of what it is to be a skater, to go, if we put our weight over here on wheels, this is what happens. If we lean forward, if we lean back, this is what happens. And because, like, I was still 10, 
like I was 10 when I started kind of doing skating semi properly, I guess. So I was very, um, still quite young, you know, and I feel like the neuroplasticity of especially your muscle memory between 10 and 18 is like anything you want to be good at for the rest of your life, do it then. You know, I kind of wish, looking back at it, I kind of wish uh, at the same time I got into dancing and gymnastics because, I mean, all I do now is stretch as an adult and I feel like the micro, the micro advancements you get every day, if you do the same stretches day after day after day after day, it's like, cool, like one day I'll be able to do the splits as, as an adult, but also at the same time, it's like, fuck man, if I, if I was able to do the splits by the time I was 18, then it's just maintenance, it's just maintenance the whole way, like I feel like as long as I put my skates on every two weeks between now and when I die, I'll always be able to skate, you know, like anything, you can't assume, like if I can, if I could, uh, what, deadlift 150 kilos right now today, and then didn't touch weights for 15 years, and then go, oh yeah, I deadlifted 150 kilos when I was 28, I'll be fine, you blow your, your fucking spine out your asshole, that's how that works, you need to do the shit all the time, but if you are doing it, there is no reason that you couldn't do it your entire life. So, yeah, going back to it, I'm at this general session for the first time. This Andrew Roberts comes up to me and he says, hey, you, you're pretty swift on your feet. Why don't you come to a speed skating class? And that was on Mondays and Thursdays. I think Monday was for everyone. And then on Thursday, there was like a juniors and a seniors class. And they, all, all these classes went for an hour. Actually, no, I think he told me originally to come back the next Saturday because they had what was called the skate smart class. Uh, skate smart class. So with these skate smart classes, there's all different stars. And obviously, like if you're uh, one star or two stars or five, I think that was the, I think that was the dictation of, I'm not sure. But say you're a five star skater, that meant that, you, say if you're one star skater, it meant you could break and it meant you could like, so you could stop, you could like scissor your feet, you could do, I think they're called TikToks where you do that with your feet. Um, and then like obviously two stars, you might be able to do like a, I don't even remember. Like, I don't know if five stars meant you could like go backwards and do a power slide and, you know, TikTok backwards and stuff like that. But basically I went from first star to fifth star, like fucking, you know, I think it was all in under a year, which, you know, typically... Typically, it would take a minute for you to get good, especially if you were starting skating at like 13 or 14 and you wanted to get good, which is about the time most people start skating. Um, yeah, you could just, you, you could spend, not years, but you could definitely spend, like if you weren't going every Saturday and, and you weren't practicing in between, like if you weren't, not even so much practicing, but if you weren't skating, if you weren't spending time on skates, it could take fucking ages. But I found myself like, I was teaching level five, like pretty soon, you know, I'd maybe, I think it was one of those situations. Cause again, it was the regular skaters. They were the ones who were running these classes. So you would find that even though, uh, like Andrew was in charge of the floor, each level would have their individual teacher. And I, it sounds all a bit official. It wasn't necessarily that you had a teacher. You just had someone who was operating that little area. And like, obviously, if you're a better skater than other people, then you could teach them how to do the things or you could at least show them how to do these little um, practicing like actions or techniques, whatever you want to call them. So, uh, yeah, I think I was like, I was only just into skating. Like I was going on the Saturdays and then I would go on the Sundays and then all of a sudden I got invited to the speed skating class. I went to the speed skating class and like was just chopping up even on rec skates. So 
I should say before I get too excited, the difference between a rec skate or a recreational skate and a speed skate is really simple. A speed skate is made for going fast and a recreational skate is made for comfort. So a speed skate is essentially just like a carbon fiber shoe that you lace up with a buckle on it with a super lightweight aluminium frame with wheels underneath. And at the time, a speed skate had five 84 mil wheels. So they were like, they were like that long, you know? And I had my little little boot, but then you could get like four wheel setups and three wheel setups. And then they went to four by 100 and then they went to four by 110 and now they're at 125. So speed skaters are on these massive wheels and they only have three of them. Um, but yeah, let's not get too far down that. So I would have these rec skates on and still do really well. So it was one of those things where Andrew Roberts, who was the floor marshal, was also the speed skating coach. So he'd say like, oh, come and, come and try speed skating. And in all honesty, Andrew Roberts is the fucking one single reason why speed skating did so well, you know, some fucking 18 years ago now. You know, between when I was 10 to when I was probably 19, 20, he was the reason why speed skating even had a face in, in Bunbury in the Southwest. We would go up to Perth and obviously Perth had heaps of different clubs and whatnot. But yeah, I didn't, you know, as a kid, you don't realize these things at the time. But now I look back, it's like the motherfucker was just always there. You know what I mean? Like every single training session, he was there. He did private lessons on the weekends. He did Saturday morning training. He did Sunday morning training. He did like road every single day after his job, like road training, which is where you go and train out on the road. He was just fucking, and like also being a rink marshal on Saturdays and Sundays at these general sessions and seeing the kids who had a little bit of talent saying, hey, why don't you come and try speed skating? Because it's like, it's no one's busting their ass to go and try speed skating as a kid. You know what I mean? Like no kid grows up aspiring to be a bloody speed skater because they saw it on TV. Like when was the last time you saw inline speed skating on TV? Makes no sense. You know, kids are trying to, to be bloody footy stars and AFL stars, not fucking speed skaters, you know? So anyway, I get, I end up, I end up, I actually, the story of my first pair of boots was really interesting because I remember cracking the shits that I was going to get these bloody average speed boots or whatever it might be. And like, I knew I wanted to be a speed skater and I, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure this was my first pair of boots. But anyway, Andrew's like pulled me into the office with my mum and said, you know, try on these, they're, they're a Roche. Um, so Roche's was like the brand to have at the time. There was only really Roche and Bont. And now there's all these other brands, bloody K2 and Power Slide and blah, blah, blah. He goes, try these on. We'll see how these fit. And then if a pair of secondhand, secondhand boots comes up, which was the thing at the time, because I mean, a speed skate boot just alone, I think, or well, I think a boot of frames and wheels, you're, you're paying like upwards of $1,200 for the whole lot. So obviously we're in a fucking absolutely new realm of expensive skates. And I should mention the rec boots that I was on, the recreational skates, they could be anywhere up to like six, $700 at a time. And then obviously you wear through your wheels or, you know, I would always take the brakes off. So you need the, the new bolts. You're like, everything just costs money all the time with this, like any sport, realistically, the equipment costs money. And uh, so, yeah, I end up getting, I remember cracking the shits one night with mum saying like, oh, I don't want secondhand boots, rah, rah, rah. And she goes, I was getting you the new boots anyway. I was getting you the, the these red and white Roche R1, I think they were. And like... Oh, they're just beautiful boots, you know, they smell beautiful. I think there's like handmade Italian boots. Amazing. And uh, it's funny, I actually saw some on Facebook Marketplace the other day for $200 boots, frames and wheels. And it's just like, oh, it's crazy to think they're worth so much then. And these boots are literally like brand new now. And 
like brand new from then still haven't been worn all that and they're only worth 200 bucks now it's fucking crazy anyway so i got my first pair of speed skates i was going fast i was like you know out of it's always hard to measure yourself when you've got a kind of a, a small test group that you're within at the time but i think as far as like there was always three fast kids by the time like because it sorry i'm not i'm not haven't thought about this um when I first got into speed skating, there was the older boys who were really quick, you know, but I found that our group of boys, there was three of us that were all about the same speed. And once one of us kind of beat one of these older boys, it was like, oh, anyone can do it now. And like literally as soon as that happened, we would start beating them. And then obviously the natural progression of like athletes is that out of the whole pool that grows up doing that particular sport, you can pretty much cut it in half and some, and you're going to lose all those people to like partying and drugs and girls and this and that. And then you're only going to get the diehard ones that stay. And I'm pretty sure out of all of those older boys, all of them just ended up getting a life and not training as much and not being there. You know, obviously all the power to them. I did the exact same thing, but yeah, going, uh, going back. So there was me, Stuart Reynolds and Jeremy Mason. And we were like, we were the fast kids. Oh, there was also Nick Booth. Um, there was like, there, there, there was other fast, like Matty Reynolds was fast as fuck, but had his days. Um, but yeah, we were the three boys that really just kind of, I think at the time as well, we were also all super competitive. And as much as we liked each other, we all kind of were as competitive as much as we were friendly with each other. So that was healthy. And the fact that, you know, you've got another two people who are breathing down your neck if you're winning always helps you do better. And yeah, it was it was just a matter of time before, I think actually before the three of us were convincingly fast, I think there was a bit, oh yeah, there was, sorry, there was a bit bigger group. There was like Brandon Antonovich, there was, yeah, as I said, Matty Reynolds. There's a fair few people, we're all the same speed, but yeah. And uh, I remember I remember the other boys actually went to nationals before me. So speed skating is the same as anything. You do a certain amount of local races, which lets you let you go to states. And then if you do well in states, the state committee picks the people who are going to go to nationals. And then if you do well at nationals, the national committee picks who's going to go to Oceanas. Do well at Oceanas, then you get picked to go to Worlds, uh, World Championships. So, and obviously every uh, national championship is held in a different capital city around the country. Uh, so what happened was like, I think I did a few States and like, you know, the first one you do fucking terrible. And like, in reality, you have no, like you can be a really good skater, like anything you can be good at training and then terrible at competition. So I had a lot of like adapting to the competition mentality where like, I always put the competition day up on a pedestal and that's, that's where you fuck yourself up. You kind of have to downplay competition so much. You're just like, well, this is just training, but everyone's here to watch me train because I would do amazing efforts at training and then pull up a competition and shit myself with nerves and, you know, not be able to talk to anyone, not be able to concentrate. And I get there and feel like I've never skated before and just silly things that happen when you're a fucking athlete. But I remember, uh, we all got selected to go to nationals. And I think for two years in a row, we agreed that like, okay, you're going to go to nationals, but you're not really going to do very well. And it's also on the other side of the country. So we just need to, you know, if we don't go to nationals, we can afford to do this instead. And it wasn't necessarily like, it was just, you know, if you don't go to nationals, you can get new boots or something along the lines, you know? And then we knew there was a national championship chips coming up in Perth at the, uh, Midvale Speed Dome, where it's got an outside bitumen track and then an in, indoor velodrome, which is a cycling velodrome. And then inside that, there's actually a concrete velodrome, 
which is, you know, maybe a quarter of the size, but bank track. And that was actually constructed for the 1992 World Championships of speed, speed skating, which they held on quads, not on inline skates. So anyway, I, uh, I went to States, did well, qualify for nationals, go to nationals. This is nationals at Perth. This is some years now. I think I was like 15 at this stage. And like just fucking super confused, you know, like blonde hair. I had it like dreadlocked at some point. Just never really focused on the skating part of it. I was always too worried about how I looked while I skated. And now I look back, I look fucking terrible anyway, so it didn't matter. But super cool. My first ever national race. And it's a 10K points a limb, which means you got 10 kilometer race. And you've got points and elimination. Now, if you're not familiar with racing at all, it means that every time you cross the line, first, second, and third place all get points. And the last person to, to finish each lap gets eliminated, right? So actually, I don't think it's each lap. I think it goes points, a limb, points, a limb, points, a limb. So on the first lap, it's, you know, position one gets three points, position two gets two points, and position three gets one point. And then on the second lap, the last person across the line gets eliminated. The third lap, you know, position one gets three points, position two gets two points, position third, three gets one point. And basically, even if you don't come first on the last lap, it's whoever accrued the most points and didn't get eliminated are the ones who win. So to give you a bizarre example, you can cross the line in first place every time there's points. But then if on the second last lap you fall over, everybody passes you and you get eliminated, then you're disqualified because you got eliminated even though you've got the most amount of points. So anyway, the outdoor track is maybe, I want to say it's 700 meters. So it's a bit short of, or it might be 800 meters. It's a bit short of the full kilometer, which meant that there was like 13 laps. And I remember like 13 laps of this massive track, which had like an uphill, a downhill. I think it was mostly left-hand turns, a massive straight. It was just like, fuck man, this is a hard track. You know, it's a fucking hard track. And on top of that, I'm going up against kids that I have never skated against before. You know what I mean? Like, and you know, at the time they're not kids, like they're all fucking bigger than you, you know? Awesome. I didn't want the last, but anyway, so I fucking, I go out there and I remember, I want to say it was James Key and Jeremy Mason. So, sorry, we get to the line, set, bang, and we're off. And we get, we knew that the first lap you come around, you're going to get points, right? So towards maybe two thirds of the lap, two thirds of the way in, the boys start picking up the pace. They come out of that last corner and Jeremy and James both make a sprint for the finish line, trying to get those first points. Because the thing is with the points elimination, it's such a strategy race where you can't really, you can't team skate too well. And plus at that age, you can't team skate anyway because people are fucking stupid. You know, you'd be like, cool, I'll send you out for the first set of points. You send me out for the third set of points, you know. And then by the, the people just fucking forget straight away. And then you ask them after the race, like, what the fuck happened? They're like, oh yeah, well this happened. Sorry, you just don't know how to follow a plan. All good, it's useless. Anyway, James and Jeremy have sprinted for the points on that first lap. And I think James might've got it. Anyway, as they've crossed the line, they put their hands on their knees because they've just sprinted that whole fucking, you know, 150 meters straight. And I'm right behind them in third place, just thinking, radio, I won't try and get past them. I'll just stay here because then I'll get the third place points. I look over my shoulder and we've gapped them. We've gapped the main pack. They've let us go and just go, okay, those let those boys fight over the first set of points because typically 
the people who get the first set of points anyway aren't the ones who win. You'll find that if there's enough of a rotation of people getting points, that the only reason you would go and try and get the points at the start strategically is if you know you're not going to do really well later on in the race, but you know you've got a good gas tank at the start. So you go out and get those points. And then you never know if the whole race, I mean, there's only four or five laps where people are getting points with a 10 kilometer anyway. So if there's different people getting the points every time, you might still get a third if you won those first set of points. You know what I mean? Or if the person, yeah, yeah, I don't want to get too into it. But the more you think about how many different outcomes to be with like points and limb races, there's every reason to sprint at the start and there's every reason to not sprint at the start. Anyway, the point was I was with these two other boys who we had broken away from the pack. As soon as they're done, they put their hands on the knees. And I remember going into the first corner because after the after the uh, finish line, you go up. Yes, I shouldn't say finish line, past where you start and finish, which is where you get the points as well. Gone past, uh, those boys put their hands on the knees and I've kept skating and I've gone into the first corner and I'm like, there's no way I can hold this pace. This pace is fucking crazy. So I just kept on that pace. I don't even know why, but I remember thinking like, I'm not going to be able to hold this. So I fucking stayed on it, got around that corner, got up that little hill, passed through the, the undercover section, gone down the hill, gone around the corner. And as I'm going around that corner, I look back, the gap that I've created between me and the main pack is fucking ridiculous. Like it's huge. I'm like, oh, oh shit. I can maybe get some points here. So this lap being the second lap was an elimination lap. So it didn't really matter what position you came on this lap. But I thought all I have to do is stay out here as long as I possibly can because the mentality of the peloton of the pack is leave him out there to dry. He's eventually going to run out of energy and we can just keep trying to push, trying to push, trying to push because a pack can catch one person heaps easier than one person can catch a pack. In the pack, you can have one person on the front for 100 meters, peel off. Another person on the front for 100 meters, peel off. You know, just keep on doing that. So you've always got fresh legs at the start. But if you're out by yourself, you're fighting your own mind. You're fighting the wind. You're, you've got no one that can give you a break. And if you put your hands on your knees or if you stop skating for a minute, then you lose all of that momentum that you've got. So by being out there by yourself, you're committing to just pushing the whole time. So I've gone out there. Lap three comes around. I look back. Same gap. So I take the first place points. So right now I've got third place points and first place points. So I've got like four points. I do another lap. And I'm out there. I do another lap and I'm out there. Long story short, I finished the race with like a third of the lap on these guys because they they let me go and thought, oh, well, we're just going to fight for, for second and third each points lap. And then in the like mentality of like leaving me out there and only fighting for second and third, they were still sprinting for those points every, every points lap, but they were too inconsistent. I stay consistent on the same pace every time. And they would like put heaps of energy out and then recover, put heaps of energy out and then recover. And because of that, by consistency, my average was a little bit more than theirs. My first national race, I became a national champion and I became a national champion in the fucking coolest way possible. I just went out and led the race for the whole thing. And I remember for whatever reason, my, my mum couldn't be there. I think she was going to be there for the indoor, which is at Herb Graham Rec Center in Perth. And uh, I've gone up to my coach, Andrew, just like, like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, what the fuck? Like, all those years I put off not going to national championships, and now I come here and on the first race win so convincingly. I remember Andrew just being like, you ready to talk to your son? He's a new national champion, rah, 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 put, puts me on the phone. I remember just being like, holy fuck, this is so cool, you know? But yeah, that was like, and man, I have got hundreds of racing stories, hundreds, easily. It just, and like, 
little skating stories uh, but that one easily stands out as like one of the most like fuck yeah moments like i was in disbelief that i had just done that for myself you know it was like one of those it was just one of those things where where you're like if i can like i'm just going to go out and lead the next race and win it that way as well you know i i am a fucking tough skater i feel like the, the interesting part is being a business owner and all the rest now like i approach my business in a very similar way to how I used to approach skating in that, you know, it's it, everything is just a goal. All we're doing is working to, you know, if I, I'm working towards the hockey jersey release at the moment and releasing socks and releasing the NFTs, back then it was like, right, I'm working towards state championships or national championships, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, it was kind of cool to put off nationals for so long and then that first national race be like, yeah, that's why we didn't go the past two years because you're busy just grinding. You're busy just getting getting the work done that you need to get done. And obviously, like, n- absolutely nothing against the boys who did go to nationals early. They w- they obviously had, uh, you know, their parents had budgets that allowed them to do that. And they probably benefited, uh, like, comp experience and comp time heaps more than what I did. And, you know, good on them, which is great. I just, it was, it was cool to have that narrative for myself, you know. And moving forward, I don't think I did, like, crazy good that nationals. I remember I actually got a photo with Josh Lowe's. Um, which is the guy who I was talking about that asked me what the fuck I was doing in that um, in that mess hall uh, in Hittervane in Holland when I was throwing grapes at Crispy. Um, but yeah, he I think I, I'm pretty sure I got a photo with him. And at the time, I remember I had all blonde hair, but I had a patch of purple hair just here for for whatever reason. I don't know why I would have that. You know what I mean? But yeah, I remember having a photo with him and that photo became like a, oh, look at this. This is us from like years ago when I ended up moving to Holland and he was living there. Um, Yeah, he was like living, well, we lived in the same complex, obviously, but he lived like a a level above me. But yeah, we, uh, I don't exactly remember how many um, national championships I went to in total. It's one of those things where like, if I showed you my national medals and my state medals, like we, we did so many like local comps that like I'm pretty sure we just donated the medals back to the rink so that they could give them to other juniors that were coming up. And then your state medals were, you know, you would keep your state medals maybe if they were from a really fun race that you like enjoyed or, you know, you did really well at or as a, it was the first time you got selected for nationals or something. And then like even your national medals, like all of us boys, like we were fast as fuck. The Bunbury boys, as much as we weren't great skaters, we were tough skaters and like that we would always be putting relays and shit together because we would just go out and grind like motherfuckers and we were all workhorses as well. None of us were real like, I wouldn't, when I say winners, none of us, you would send none of us out for the win, but we would still get it. You would send us out to go and hurt the pack, you know, go out, go do exactly what I did. Go to the front and just lead the whole fucking time and really, really grill these guys, show them that we can skate. And we did exactly that. Saying that, how bizarre is this? I remember it's it's uh it's kind of funny actually. So I caught up with Stuart Reynolds not long ago because he bought a couple of jumpers and a t-shirt and stuff. And the first thing he said to me when he got out of the car, he's like, "This is God testing you." And we started laughing and that and it's it's that comes from a really uh funny story. So what Andrew Roberts used to do, like there's this massive hill um in Bunbury that we used to skate up like eight eight times, ten times, twelve times on a Tuesday night. And then there was, uh, you know, Andrew got us into like doing visualization and meditation at this um, at this meditation center. Uh, Andrew got us, he just got us doing so much different stuff. And like he would have us doing off skate programs. He had us stretching all the time. All of us were massive cyclists and would do hundreds of kilometers a week 
Like Andrew was really good at finding things that weren't skating that would make our skating better. And I think like obviously that you can attribute to us being such tough skaters. But one thing he did do was we would go to the Hasty Street um, car park where the beach is here in Bunbury and there's these massive dunes. Massive. Like they would... I don't even... Like I haven't been there for years so I don't know how tall it would be but they were like to run up these dunes was a serious fucking effort, you know? And he would have us do all these exercises on the beach barefoot to build up our our lower legs and our feet and like obviously our quads because we're always in skating position and then he would have us run up and down these dunes and it was just torture you know what I mean like skating up that hill was just torture but obviously these things just like they build up a fiber in your mind that is so tough that even like now as an adult I think back to those moments and I'm like nothing is that hard like I can do this like I've got food poisoning at the moment bitch fuck you you know what I mean so with uh with the with these uh like beach training sessions, I think they're on a Wednesday afternoon. This one time we rock up and the fucking rain's going sideways and shit and Andrew's like, Yeah, we're training. <laughs> like we're all here, we're training. So we get out of the car and uh the weather gets worse. We go down to the beach, the weather gets worse, and I remember like we're standing there and we've all I'm pretty sure we must have been like at a decent level because we all had our state gear on and um you know, I've got the jacket on and uh, we're standing there. I remember Stewie had his hood on and you know how when people pull their hood so tight that it cuts just a hole and they've just got their face peeking through like this. And I remember Andrew just yelling. He's like, you know, this this is the ultimate test. This is what it, what it comes down to. This is where champions are made. This is God testing you. And I remember just looking across at Stuart like, do you hear this motherfucker? You know? <laughs> but... As it turns out, he was being serious. And as it turns out, he fucking knew what he was doing. You know what I mean? Because that's like... Yeah, I mean... Dude, if I was a skating coach, I would like to believe that I, I... If I was just a coach in general, I would like to think that I'd be good at making it still interesting. That you wouldn't lose interest in the activity that we're still doing. But to think how far Andrew went with like the creativity of shit he would come up with to just build tough as fuck skaters... Man, hats off to the guy. And as it turns out, I think I did like another, my mum will be able to verify this. I did like a nationals in Melbourne, one in Brisbane, one in Perth, uh, maybe one in Sydney. Hey. Um, so yeah, let's say I did three, four, five nationals. Stuart, Jeremy and I actually got picked to go to Oceana's. And I don't know if it was... Yeah, I think we got picked to go to Oceana's for one year first. And that was in... I think that was in New Zealand. And we went to New Zealand. Then the next year, we got picked for Oceana's and Worlds. And then Stuart, Jeremy and I all went to World Championships in uh, 2009. Yeah, 2009 in uh, Hanning City in China, which is like the leather district of, of like... So China has like... You find that... Well, this is to, to what I understand. If, if it's not correct, you know, fuck you, I don't care. But in China, they have like different towns or cities that are based around the production of different types of things. So where we were at this Hanning, Hanning um, and to give you an idea, Hanning City is somewhere that like, if you Google it, you'll find it. But if you're looking for it on the map, you're not going to find it, right? It's not like it's a fucking... You know, if you're looking on an Australia map and it's like, oh, find Brisbane, you're like, oh yeah, there's Brisbane. Or if you like find... I'm trying to think of a good example. If you're like, find Geelong, you know? So it's like, Geelong is a reasonably sized place. It's just outside of Melbourne. You're going to find it on the map. But then like, if I consider the amount of skyscrapers and shit, like massive buildings, 
that were in Hanning City compared to Perth, Perth would be like a 20th, 1 20th. The, the, the skyscrapers, if you took all of them all around Perth and put them all in one area, that's like one block in Hanning City. It's like the, the, these cities in China are just so fucking big and developed and like no reason everything that comes, like it, it makes sense that you can get like a leather bag that you might pay $150 for here in Australia. You can get it out of there for like fucking 12 bucks, you know? It's just the size of the city blew my mind. And then the fucking purpose-built skating, like skating facility that they had just for the world championships was like, what the, f- this is like a, a Imagine like an, a football stadium. Obviously, it's not quite the size of a football stadium, but imagine a football stadium being built for one game. That's essentially what this was. Like you walked in, it had a big, beautiful hallway. And then inside where the skating area actually is, it's like you can't double up a, a, a racetrack for, for speed skaters for anything else. Like that is just for speed skating. It's too small for push bikes. It's not appropriate for any other sort of skating. The the length that it is is so specific to skating. The surface of the ground is so specific to skating. Like this, it blew my mind that there was enough money in in any facet of, of speed skating to, to justify or warrant building this particular, you know, place, even though it was world championships. And I remember it was that new. There were certain elements of the track that they were like, oh, we're not sure if this is quite finished yet. And you could tell when we got there, like some things weren't quite finished yet. But, you know, it was what it was. And I mean, at the end of the day, it was still an amazing experience to have at that age because I think I was 17 when I went to, yeah, I was 17 when I went to World Championship. No, I might have been 16, actually. It was uh, during the, it was during my year 11 at school. Yeah, so I might have been 16. Because my birthday is quite late in the year, first day of summer. But <clears throat> the uh, yeah, the experience of going to China for whatever you know was kind of crazy. Because at that point, like I had been to where had I been? Yeah, so I may, like I've been to a few. I've been to like New Zealand and um, obviously all over Australia. And I was originally from Victoria, so I've been back to Victoria every ten minutes my whole time growing up. Um, so yeah, like very adapt to like traveling and all the rest, but this going to China, I remember just being like, what the fuck, you know, that was the first time I felt like if something happened there, I might be in trouble, you know, and for anyone who's done a decent amount of traveling, there is a switch that goes off in your head that you realize you, you, you straight away go like, right, if something happens here, I'm fucked, you know, like if I lose my group and I don't know where I am, I'm in serious trouble because no one here speaks English. None of these signs make any sense to me. And I don't even know the place of where I'm staying at. I have nothing in my pockets. I could be seriously fucked if something happens, you know? And I think, oh, I mean, that's a whole other podcast talking about the importance of feeling those feelings for the first time and making sure that when you're reasonably young, I feel like people who feel that for the first time when they're like in their 20s is like, bitch, you're way too fucking old to be feeling this for the first time. What are you going to do with these feelings now? You know what I mean? I feel like having that first sense of being truly humbled to your core that if something happens, you're just going to die alone, you know, and your parents aren't going to find out for weeks, you know, that sort of thing. When you go through that as like a teenager, it's so healthy for you because then you like humbly assess the rest of the world as you grow up. You you realize that the risk that you have at home is not really risk at all. It's just your idea of how hurt, how hurt your ego can become if you put yourself out there too much. It's like, risk, I'm taking, bitch. I could die here, you know? When I get home, if I want to wear fucking tight jeans and paint my nails, fuck everyone. That's what I'm going to do, you know? Because that's not really a risk, 
It's just an idea of something going wrong. Got off the track. <clears throat> but yeah, such a cool experience to go to China at that age. And obviously like the experience of going to world championships for anything is just bizarre because you're surrounded by people that their whole goal in life is to do well at this particular event. Like we've got the Olympics going on at the moment. Again, that is just like the very fucking best of those disciplines. They have based their whole life around getting good at that one activity. And this is their time to prove it to the world. And if they do well, there is so many benefits that come with it. You know, there is, so, and obviously like sometimes it's not even for the athlete. It's to show the, the independence and strength of a, of a country based off how well their, their country can do as a whole at the Olympics. You know, you, people who want to be the working arm of that mechanism, but just to, and to understand also that these people that I looked up to as my kind of skating mentors and role models, seeing them in their element and watching how they carry themselves. And, you know, I didn't realize at the time, but I would then simulate what I saw in them and myself and how I acted as I grew up, not just at the competition, but like even after I finished skating, just, you know, carrying on that same kind of mentality of like, how I act under pressure and how I act when I'm meant to be doing really well and also how to act, how, how to let yourself act when you're just good at something. You know what I mean? Like you're allowed to be undeniably good at something and just fucking do it. You know, like now that I can do a wheelie, I feel silly going down the main street and pulling up a wheelie. And then when I get home, I'm like, bitch, you can wheelie. That's the whole point is to do it down the main street. Don't feel silly. Here is the license to go and show off because you can do something that's worth showing off. You know, the amount of times that you hear the shit, oh, if I had a body like that, I'd never wear I'd never wear a shirt. Yeah, fucking oath. When you get like juicy pecs and a nice set of abs, don't wear a shirt. That's what it's about. If the sun's out, the guns need to be out. Fuck everyone else. The only reason they have any sort of resentment is because they wish they look like you. And that's okay. It's called being a human, you know? So... Got the world championships under my belt. Um, we I, That was like three weeks in China, so it was super cool. And also, like, at this stage, um, so Stuart Reynolds and Jeremy Mason and I, we had traveled all over the country. We had been to New Zealand. I'm pretty sure we even went to New Zealand a couple of times, if I remember. I remember one time, if anyone who was there is watching this, this is fucking hilarious. We used to get these little buses, you know, the buses that can sit like 12 people. We get them, and I remember this one time, we were doing this thing where we'd rock from one side to the other in the bus, so much so, we're trying to get this bus to roll over, like, while, you, while we're driving down the, the road, and we go down a little bend, and like, you know it's going to bend around to the left, so we'd all jump on the left-hand side, and then as you go around to the bend, we'd all jump on the right-hand side of the bus and fucking lean right over. And I remember, like, the bloke who was looking after us, John Capone, he, he, he was one of those dudes where you could tell, he's like, guys, don't do that, but also, like, See if we can at least get it on two wheels. You know what I mean? It was oh, so great. So great. Just all the shenanigans that we used to get up to for all that. We used to get up to and all that. It was great. It was great. I feel like being brought up in any sport that allows you to do things like that is just so beautiful because it gives you a reason to like, it gives you something to belong and commit to, you know, it get it, like you wouldn't want to miss training on a, a, a after school you know, because you wanted to get good at skating and because you knew the boys were going to be there, you know, and it like helped you with the communication. It helped us with our, it helped us with our ability to set goals and achieve them. And then obviously like we got this beautiful advantage as we went along with everything that Andrew did for us. It turned us into bad motherfuckers as we grew up. 
You know, like, I know Stewie and Jez are both kicking goals for themselves now. And I feel like, you know, as you run into these guys who took skating as seriously as we did, they're all doing their own thing. You know, no, no one's really just kind of plateaued off into a normal life. And, yeah, it's just it's just kind of cool. Um, but, yeah, it wasn't... Uh, so, I was getting... We all, we all were getting, um, like, we would get awards and stuff. And speed skating was starting to get a bit more recognized. Still, still, thanks to Andrew Roberts, the motherfucker like wouldn't stop. Hey, he would just get us involved in as much as he possibly could. And I remember, I think um, three of us, I'm not sure, some of the artistic skaters as well. Oh, and by the way, there's a whole side of the story of artistic skaters, like figure skaters as well that, I mean, I've already gone 10 minutes over time, so I'm not going to get too much into that. I'm going to add one more bit of the story on then I'm going to fuck off, right? But, um, yeah, there's a whole side of the figure skating community. I actually did some figure skating myself to, to benefit my speed skating. Yeah, there's so many stories in there as well. So anyway, um, I think some of the artistic skaters got this um, gap and some speed skaters got a gap as well. The gap was a GAP, Gifted Athletes Program. And um, basically you got a scholarship and you also got to come along to one of these like athlete uh, like a f- two or three day thing where you go there and learn how to be better athletes. They teach you about nutrition and recovery and things like this. And I remember I actually shared a room with uh, Anthony Morabito. And I remember thinking like, I asked him, I was like, oh, what do you do? He's like, oh yeah, I play footy. And I remember thinking like, yeah, very cool, dude. Like how original, you know, I'm a speed skater, watch out. And then, I mean, he's the one who got paid for his sport and I didn't. So who won that conversation, you know? But yeah, that was kind of cool that he, um, that yeah, I, uh, I met him in, in that that way. But yeah, I uh, we got given this scholarship and I ended up, um, I was good friends with uh, one of the Aussie skaters who was already in Holland. And I was talking to her, um, actually that's uh, Brooke Lachlan, she now plays for the Western Bulldogs. Uh, yeah, pretty sure it's Western Bulldogs. She might've got like best player last year or something. You know, ex-speed skater, now uh, um, AFL player. But yeah, uh, so she's like, why don't you come over to this race, uh, Grossgera in Germany? And I was like, well, I've actually got this this uh, grant or this scholarship of $3,000. Um, I'll be able to spend that on going and doing this race because racing in Europe was the end goal. You know, like everybody wanted to end up doing World Cups and that in Europe because that was where you can, you could actually like win, you could win winnings, you know, like if you won a race, you would get money from it. So I was dead set on like, yep, yeah, fuck yeah, I want to I wanna go to, to Europe and um, race this cross Gera. We did all this shit. It turns out it was going to be a three, I think it was going to be a three-week trip. Um, get there, do the race, go to Holland for a bit, come back. And yeah, so it all, it all fucking, well, the plan was all set. That's what we're going to do. I packed enough for those three weeks. Uh, jumped on the plane and I remember being at the airport and like watching mum and mum was like bawling her eyes out. And I, I remember thinking like, like, I'm just going to go to Europe and come back. Like, obviously, the plane can crash or something can happen to me in Europe. Right? Like, I didn't really consider, like, why it was that much of a crazy thing that was happening, you know? She's crying. But she was like, she was doing that thing that mums do where she's like, I'm not crying, but, you know, I'm crying. You know, like, as soon as I get around that corner where you can't see each other anymore, she'd just, like, lose her shit. So, I remember seeing that. She uh, she goes around the, went around the corner. I've got on the plane and just fucking, here we go, you know? And... Yeah, now as an adult, I think I realized like she knew exactly what could go wrong, you know, everything. And uh, yeah, so I, you know, did the fucking 24 hours of travel. I get to Germany. Uh, I think, yeah, some shit happened in Germany. It's a whole other story. But I ended up catching a train 
uh, getting on the first train, then the second train, the third train, I end up eventually getting to Hirvain, which is in Holland, um, which was then going to be, I didn't know at the time, but that was going to be my new home for a year. So long story short, I race cross Gera. I, I become um, friendly with Des, who is the, the coach for all the Australian um, skaters and the Dutch skaters as well. Um, she's just a, she's a skating icon in the, in the speed skating community. Everyone kind of knows Des. And she had made her home in, um, in Hittervane as well for, you know, for the purpose of uh, coaching skating. And one thing led to another and it turned from like, do you want to stay longer than three weeks? Uh, do you want to stay longer than a month? Do you want to stay longer than a couple of months? Do you want to just train with us permanently? And um, so, yeah, I ended up getting my bike sent over and like my push bike. And yeah, just ended up living there and skating there for every year. I even converted into ice speed skating for a bit. Didn't do particularly well as you know as you'd expect from someone who's just doing kind of hobby ice skating because you know because it's there and you can't really train on on wheels but yeah anyway i spent a i spent a year in europe just racing and and like that was my job i would train two three times a day and then we would we would compete pretty much every weekend going to different places and i got so like it's funny how in australia you would compete once every well, like once a month or once every six weeks whereas in europe you like you can you can compete literally every weekend and like every weekend you'll be going up against like there's like a group of guys that you would all skate together and you would all you'd know kind of who was going to do what in each race but then you know you go to this town over here and this monster from that town would go like oh yeah I'll compete this weekend all of a sudden you're up against this other dude that you've never met before so I just got so good at not being too worried about the whole competing process at all I just I got natural at competing you know and then just kind of as I was pulling it all together and like starting to understand how it all, like what speed skating was and how I can make a future out of it, it just kind of fell apart on me. Like I think mentally I, uh, I didn't feel myself getting heaps better. Um, and, and also like I now that I look back on it in hindsight, I didn't have much of a, uh, what would you call it? I didn't have a healthy, um, state of mind. I had like I didn't have the foundation of a good mental plan. All I had was these bits and pieces I was trying to pull together that you need to have, that you need to build on top of a foundation. So I feel like right now, the way I apply what I've learned to my, um, to my business like mindset and my strategy is that I'm very sure of like what all of this is built on. I know of like the why, I know which direction I'm trying to head. I know the, what the end goal looks like in my mind. Whereas when I was skating, I just kind of had these bits of information like, oh, you're a good skater. Um, you know, you, you're a really good workhorse. It'd be sweet if you could end up on a team and make money out of this. And like, you know, if you could make some fame out of it as well, because obviously like there's a little bit of that in everything you do. If you could be the best at it, you'd be kind of famous or whatever. But I never really understood like what the fuck I was doing, you know, like I never really pieced it all together in a way where it's like, right, I want to be the best possible marathon skater in the world. And I want to win this particular race this many times, whatever it was, it was all just kind of like, okay, we'll, we'll just try and be better by this time next year, or we'll just try and be good by this race, or we'll try and get a podium on this race. It was never really, you know, and I found that even like the way I would skate got so much better towards the end where you, you know, you can skate in a pack without actually doing any work. As long as you stay in like the top 10, when there's like 50 skaters, you just stay in the top 10 and you keep rotating through those top 10. You really don't ever have to put any, put in any effort. And then you get to the end of the race and you've got fresh legs. So, yeah, I, I kind of make it sound like I finished on a, on a negative note. I didn't necessarily finish on a negative note. I think I got to a point where I was starting to actualize what it was being an adult. Um, and 
the thing that scared me the most, and I'm not sure I've even said this to, to my mum, but the thing that scared me the most was the concept of being normal. I didn't want to come back and get a job. I didn't want to come back and have the same stresses that everyone else had. And I didn't understand what that would look or feel like. You know, I left school early to be a skater. I pretty much fucked everything off in school to be a skater. You know, like I wouldn't, like I would fall asleep during human bio and maths and that because the teacher would let me get away with it because I was tired from skating. You know, every day before school, I was doing a spin class or off skate or cycling or something. And then after school, I was going and training for one, two, three hours on the weekends. I was competing or training. You know, and then on top of that, you're also trying to like have some sort of a social life, which back then isn't, it's not that crazy, but it's also like, you still want to have time for yourself, you know? So I really had put any normal idea or thought of living on the back burner because I was so, I was so concerned about just being for skating, you know? So I think the idea of coming home as a 20 something year old versus an 18 year old because I like, I ended up coming home ten days after my eighteenth birthday, and uh, yeah, I think the thought of doing it then and there was more attractive than like getting further down the track and having nothing to show for it. Because you know, I did come to a point where I was like, "Fuck," you know, I have, I ha- I don't like I, the best I had done was an overall fourth placing in senior men, and that was because most people pulled out of the race because it was ra- because it was raining super hard and there was like a puddle like this deep in one of these marathons. You know, that, that was like the best I'd done. I had some race winnings. I, you know, got some cool sponsorships and stuff. And like, I essentially was living this, you know, the pro athlete or semi-pro athlete life. That's all I did. I didn't have a job. I just skated. But the, I think the reality of what it all meant, you know, I didn't have anything that was significant to show for it. And I wasn't like, I was like, you know, one of the ones where you go like, watch this person because he's going to do well. The only reason I had any notoriety was because I was Australian and I was in Holland, you know. So, and look, there is probably some reasons that I'm completely blanking on now that my mum could fill in the blanks for, but I just remember coming back and just being like, fuck, I have no money. I have nothing to show for what I've done all this time. I don't even know if I want to keep skating. I might want to keep skating just in Australia. I knew there was some talks about, you know, if I could get over to America and train with them for a bit. And I just eventually came to a point where I was like, I just don't want to fucking skate anymore, you know? But yeah, look, I've gone way over fucking, way over my time, so... Let me just wrap it up. Before I wrap up, I do have one thing that I want to say, one thing that I want to ask. I think the Black Ink podcast is is kind of cutting me out of some of the potential um, eyes that I could have, eyes and ears that I could have. So I'm thinking about renaming it. I was thinking about Jake's, Jake Talks or Ideas of Jake or Kick-Ons with Jake or just Kick-Ons because I feel like this is the sort of shit you talk about at Kick-Ons is just like, you know, ideas that don't really go anywhere but, but are somehow interesting, you know? Um, so if you have any ideas for a name for this podcast, please let me know, slide into my DMs, comment on this on YouTube, just send me a fucking text message, whatever you got to do, just tell me, you know? Anyway, I hope you're having a lovely day. I hope you've been good to your mother lately and I hope you're kicking goals ass, you know? Kicking ass goals. Hey, whatever it is, bro. Look, I'm going to fucking love and leave. Thanks for listening. This is it. My name is Jakey. Yo!